Well, next week we begin a new series. Over the summer, I'd like to re-preach to you the best sermon on holiness that was ever preached. It's the Sermon on the Mount, and that's what I'm going to be doing all through the summer. But before we get there, there's one more area that we need to cover. You know, as we've been talking about holiness, we talked about the things that holiness included, the wonderful things that holiness included. But in the past few weeks, we've been talking about those things that need to be excluded so that they will not interfere with the holiness of Christ, which resides in us. We have no holiness on our own, but the holiness of Christ resides in us. And so we want to talk this morning about the materials that can lead us astray. The materials that can interfere with that showing of the holiness of Christ and separating ourselves from them. You know, when we say to the Lord, uh, lead me not into temptation, we need to make it probably a little longer journey for him. Uh, you know, he, he's probably saying to us, okay, don't stand so close. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about uh, discerning the kind of people that would lead you away from God instead of to God, and to not include them in your inner core doesn't mean you give up on them, doesn't mean you stop praying for them. But you know those people that have a tendency to move you away from the Lord's will for your life. Well, the same is true in certain materials. There are certain materials in which we imbibe that lead us away from God's will for our lives. And, and many times we're not fully aware of the impact or the harm that those materials can have on our lives because some of them seem innocent. Listen to this. When I was five years old, my life changed. I saw Snow White for the very first time, and from that moment on, I knew that my destiny was to become the woman that Prince Charming would recognize at a glance. I know that there is a man out there created just for me, and I want to do everything I can so that he can notice me. For instance, men love curly hair. That is a proven fact. So once I get married, I can style my hair to match my personality, but for now, it has to be curly. And I read a lot of Harlequin romance novels, so I know just what real love looks like. Well, don't misunderstand me. I'm not pushy about what I know. Men love women who are in need of their help. I mean, did you see, pretty woman? The only way to get Mr. Right to marry you is to act like you wouldn't know what to do without him. And, and I will recognize Mr. Perfect when I see him. I have trained my eyes. I can scan a room in two minutes flat. I will know him when I see him. Well, I was engaged once. I mean, he seemed like he was going to be perfect, but, well, the more time I spent with him, the clearer it was to me that he just wasn't going to be able to fulfill my dreams of Mr. Wright. Besides, we just got into this huge argument over the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. He wouldn't give it up when I asked him to. Now, how was I supposed to build a relationship with someone knowing that I'd have to live up to those ridiculous images? When my fiance and I broke up, I, uh, I really thought I'd be heartbroken, but 
I got to tell you, that's the best thing ever happened to me. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. We, we, you know, we had fun. We went to movies. But, you know, she always wanted to go see these, these chick movies, you know, uh, Sense and Sensibility. Sense and nonsense, if you ask me. But I went, I went, I never complained. Of course, every time I took her to see a movie I wanted to see, she'd get all upset because I'd make some innocent little comment, you know, like, you know, babe, a few more setups in the morning, you could look like the chick in the movie there. <laughs> I don't know, but I got to tell you, I learned a lot from that breakup. I mean, it showed me exactly how little time I really needed to spend with other people. I mean, I don't need some woman around to, to provide me with, with, with stimulating conversation. I can talk with people I'll never even meet face to face for hours just by jumping on the internet. I talked to a gal just the other night from California for over two hours. And last night I was up till three o'clock in the morning in that wide world of sports chat room. And, of course, if I miss real conversation, I just turn on Regis and Kathy Lee. <laughs> you know, marriage just takes so much energy. I mean, let's face it, why do I need a wife around when I can just go down and rent a video with Michelle Pfeiffer, and there's a woman more interesting and more beautiful than my ex-fiance could ever dream of being? Yeah, besides, we, uh, we broke up for a really stupid reason. Yeah, as soon as we got engaged... She told me I had to give up my subscription to Sports Illustrated because of that swimsuit edition. What's that got to do with anything? Well, what does that have to do with anything? The material of which we partake has significant impact on our lives, more significant than most of us would anticipate. The Bible has story after story about unanticipated consequences from seemingly innocuous actions. Let me point one of those out to you. If you turn to uh, Joshua chapter 7, let me give you the background to this. This is at the point where Israel is going in and conquering the land. Joshua's a great general. He's leading them. They've got a great army. They're all stoked up because they've been having victory after victory in this conquest. Now they come upon this land, I. And they think it's going to be easy to make sure Joshua, as is his habit, sends out spies. Sure enough, the spies come back. The spies say, this is not a problem. They haven't got very many men. They're not well trained. You don't even need to send up the whole army. Joshua says, great. He doesn't send up the whole army. But those that get sent up are resoundly and embarrassingly defeated. 36 die. Now Joshua goes to the Lord and says, what's up with this? Why did this happen? Now if you look at verse 11 in chapter 7, you will see the Lord's answer. Israel has sinned. Now, look in verse 12. It says, Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. In Scripture, there is always a link of sin and defeat. 
There's always that link there, sin and defeat. Now, here's what's surprising about this story. When God says Israel has sinned, you think, well, everybody in Israel has a common sin. It turns out that's not the case. As a matter of fact, there were not even many who sinned. There was one person. His name was Achan, uh, appropriately enough. Achan had committed a private sin, unaware of how it could affect those that he loved, those that surrounded him. And if you want to hear the confession of this seemingly unintentional, unplanned sin, read with me verses 20 through 22. It says, So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw the spoil, well, I, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle. Now let me give you the picture here. When a victorious army goes through the battlefield of the dead, and sometimes through the villages of those dead, every possession that defeated enemy has is theirs. That's called the spoil. However, God had said, as it was his custom, don't take any of it for your personal possession. It's all mine. Don't anybody individually profit from this. Now, Achan's going through the field. He's seeing all the goodies. He, he sees all the treasures. And I suspect he starts thinking to himself, look, what's the big deal about this? What's it going to hurt? Here's, here's a beautiful, who's going to miss this? And didn't I work hard? And don't I need a little, a little break every once in a while just to reward myself a little? I deserve a break today. And so he thinks, what's the harm? And look at what he did. It says, and when I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them. Now this, this says this was an unplanned deal that he just, he happened on it and he, he, and he wanted to acquire it. Then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. You see, when we observe materials, those materials often become a part of us. Just observing materials or even content is not a matter of simple intellectual cognition. It is participation. The Bible knew that. They, in the Bible, knowing something is having a relationship with it. Adam knew Eve and they begat. They're not talking about an intellectual cognition there. They're talking about an intimate relationship. Why did God say, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Isn't it a good thing to know what evil is? Well, they knew enough to be obedient because God had entrusted them with an order. But they did not know what evil really was in that, in that they were not participating in evil until they took that fruit inside them. That's the symbolism of that that they partake of evil. They don't just know what evil is, they partake of evil. Now here's where it becomes very relevant for us. Those of us who are not aware of the profound effect 
that what we read and what we watch has on us are setting ourselves up for some future unanticipated but negative consequences. The Bible is very clear about not partaking of some stuff. It's even clear about not knowing some stuff that we could know. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, you know, there's some supposed stuff you're supposed to know and there's some supposed stuff you're not supposed to know. And, and, and that, that doesn't go good with us. We, we want to know everything we can because we think that if we, the more we know, the smarter we get. That's simply not true. Intelligence does not equate with the amount of information that you have. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's smarter not to know what you could know. Think of it like this. Um, Becky and I uh, are taking Fridays off. That's our Sabbath. And so Friday we went to see uh, The Lost World. Michael Crichton, a Steven Spielberg deal. Uh, I love the way Michael Crichton writes. And uh, so we went to see The Lost World. The Lost World is simply uh, the, the latest in a long line of movies that has a singular point. And the singular point is this, and it's a very biblical point. The singular point is this, that we cannot contain nor control all that we can know and all that we can accomplish. We cannot contain nor control all that we can know nor all that we can accomplish. Of course, the point of the movie was uh, and they mentioned it in there, and, and I think they got it wrong. It, they mentioned Heisenberg's uncertainty principle that, that simply observing something changes what you observe. That's not Heisenberg's uh, uh, uncertainty principle. That has to do with the location and movement of, of particles, not being able to, to see both at one time. But the anthropic principle, I think is what they were talking about, says this, that when you observe something, it's not just taking an objective, distanced look. It has an effect on what you observe. The Hawthorne experiment later uh, said the same thing. It was about lighting in, 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 uh, in labor, and they, they kept adjusting the light to see what effect it would have, have. And no matter whether they turned the lights brighter or turned the lights dimmer, the, 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 the efficiency went up. And they discovered it wasn't the light that made the difference. It was being observed that made the difference. Now, what the movies are about, though, is that not only do we have an effect on what is observed, but what is observed has a very profound effect on us. There is no objective distance. There is no separation. There is a relationship. This is not the first movie like this. How many of you grew up watching King Kong? You know, and you see these curious people go toward this dark island. You're going, don't go there. You see this gate and you're going, don't go outside the gate. Why? Because intuitively, you know, there's something they can't handle out there. And they go, and what do they do? They sedate the thing, put it on a boat, ship it back to New York. How many of you know? Don't do that. Why? Because you know intuitively that they cannot contain nor control all that they can know or grasp. And so there are these consequences. Before King Kong, it was uh, uh, Frankenstein. 
You know, Mary Shelley's great novel, instantly popular. Why was it instantly popular? Because people intuitively know that you can push technology so far that it has dire consequences. We're not ready to handle all we can know or do. And so here's this, this doctor who wants to simply push the frontiers of science a little further and, and, and create lives for the good of mankind. And as soon as he creates life, what happens? That monster turns around and destroys all he loves, and he himself. What happened with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? The monster wasn't outside, the monster was inside. But the same result. You see, from somebody pushing as far as they could, going way beyond what they were ready for, the consequences were dire. Now, I've got to tell you, I do have some concerns with with the experimentation that's going on these days, technologically. I really believe that we are driven as a society technologically. A few years ago, uh, Neil Postman wrote a book called Technopoly that said exactly that that we're in this habit that says, if we can do it, we will do it, uh, without having the ethical basis for being able to handle it. Because what drives the stock market? Uh, what, what in international relations is the biggest offering that the United States has? It's our technology. And so anything that earns money is going to have the energy behind it to further the frontiers. But I've got to tell you, I'm a little concerned. With the, the, with the DNA experimentation that's going on right now, uh, with the possibility of cloning. They, they have not yet set enough parameters, enough strictures that would, not, uh, that would disallow us. So, you know, right now what they're, what they're arguing about is can they take some human DNA, they're already implanting it in mice, uh, but can they take some human DNA in this cloning process, implant it on, on a fertilized egg, but not implanted in a woman? See, if you, they think if you implant it in a woman, then that's cloning. But if you just keep it in vitro, that's not cloning. What, what, how, how far can you develop that? And what will happen? What kind of experiments can come out of it? I'm alarmed at that. That's not something that we can do a great deal of, of uh, control with. But here's something even more personal and even more immediate. How much information do you partake of as an individual that you simply shouldn't know? That is being more damaging to you than it is being helpful. That is taking you more away from God than it is taking you closer to God that is taking you more away from the people that you were given by God to love than it is bringing you close to those people. Let me give you just one or two examples of this. Just as um, um, the, our, our technology is, is really a, an image of the Tower of Babel that, that, that says if we can build it, we will build it, but what will result is ultimate confusion. So also, those little bits of material that we can get about people sometimes are, are things that we sell our birthright for. Like Esau, getting a meal uh, and, and selling the larger picture. Let me, let, me, let me ask you a couple of things. How often do you listen to information about one another that really you don't need to know. You just, you just flat don't need to know. You know the Bible's stricture on gossip. 
Now, why is gossip wrong? Because information is wrong? No, not because information is wrong or inaccurate, but because it is unhelpful. It is unhelpful. Let me ask you, what happens to your opinion of people when you hear gossip about them? And to follow that up, what happens to your estimation of them and what happens to your relationship with them? When you listen to more information about them than you need to know for your relationship with them. It goes down the tubes, doesn't it? You see, simply gathering more information can do more harm than it can good, even if the information is accurate. So therefore, there must be times when we say, you know what, I'm not going to ask. I don't need to know. As a matter of fact, I need not to know. I will not covet that information. We have a, we have a uh, uh, switch uh, gears a little bit here. We've got um, something we're going through with our youngest son, Joel, right now. He's going through um, um, high school in three years instead of four. And so even though he's just turned 16, we're reviewing materials that colleges are sending us about, you know, come to our school. Joel wants to go into medicine, and so we're particularly uh, interested in uh, those that have good pre-med programs. Recently, we received uh, a video from one of the most prestigious universities in the nation. And this university happens to have, not happens to have, by design has, uh, a, a, an excellent, uh, a very prestigious medical school attached to it. And so we looked with interest at this video. But we had some problems with the video. In the first place, the living arrangements for the students are against <laughs> all, you know, you talk about moving away from temptation, these move into temptation. Living arrangements for the students are very tempting for anybody with any kind of hormonal activity whatsoever. <laughs> now, we're thinking, okay, here he goes, just turned 17 into college. Uh, it promises that if he goes there, that, that in, into this university, that he can be in med school uh, by the time he's 20. That's pretty attractive. But what about these more basic issues? What about, these, what about the, the tone of the video that says, you know, our whole goal is tolerance and diversity and, and so on and so forth. That's the goal, uh, to get as much information into a broadest person as we can. Well, that's not how we've raised him. We've raised him to focus his life on Jesus Christ. And at 16 and a half or 17 and a half or whatever, whatever age he's going to go there, 17 and a half, he's not fully baked yet. Now, now, the question is this, the question is this to us. Do we say, well, you know, it's college. And what is it? A premium here is the most excellent teaching you can find and the most information you can get. Or do we say, no, that's not the most important thing. Because if, even if you can get 10% more information, much more important to being a good doctor are the values you have how closely you align with the, with the mission of God for your life, how much you care for people, and how big a picture you have on what's important in life. You see, we think that second thing's more important than the first thing. Let me ask you, how many 
don't think about what they're learning. They just want the most information they can get because in this culture, that's what's important. It's not important. It's not, it's not the most important thing for God. Of course, we want him to be the most competent physician. Of course, we want him to be the best neurosurgeon in the world. But that does not come at a price of sacrificing the priorities of life or putting yourself in a position where that would be a very close temptation. And so here's what we need to decide as people. Let me just boil this all down for it and, and ask us a few questions. When you examine your life, are you participating in things right now? Are you viewing things right now? that are taking you away from what you know God's will is for your life. So you've got to answer this question. Have you subscribed to the philosophy that learning for learning's sake is desirable? Because that's not a Christian philosophy. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 3, 7, it says this. It describes the heathen that says they are always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. There are, there are, there's the kind of learning that actually takes you away from a knowledge of the truth. So learning for learning's sake is not a biblical admonition. Now, you've got to ask yourself this question. What kind of stuff do I want to learn? How do I want to focus my life? And does God know more about what I should learn than I do? Does God know more of what will prosper my life than I will? In other words, do I learn within the accordance of the word? Psalm, Psalm 119 says this, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart, and also do no unrighteousness, and they walk in his ways. Thou hast ordained thy precepts that we should keep them diligently. So the first question you need to ask yourself today is this. Is the material I view or the material I'm tempted toward, and by the way, this is, this is how we can locate our trouble spot, we will always be drawn to material that is, that is correspondent to our, to our inner weakness, to our temptation. Now, everybody has a different trouble spot. Um, um, now, some, some, you know, you can, have general, you can have general trouble spots that are forbidden uh, for men and women. Obviously, pornography is forbidden for men. It, it, anything that raises lust is wrong. Cut it out. Women may not be as tempted toward pornography as they are Harlequin romances of creating these dream relationships that, that you know, the guy on the couch could never meet up to. Uh, and, and so, so you, you have these, you have these, these trouble spots, and, and, and some of you are not tempted toward some stuff. You know, sometimes, some of you are tempted toward alcohol. I'm not tempted toward alcohol because I am the easiest drunk in town. My family was alcoholic, and I know I have that propensity. I, dr I drank twice in college, two beers, both times, one each time. One beer, I've got a lampshade on my head, and I'm dancing. <laughs> it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. See, I'm not, even, I'm not even tempted toward that. But I had this solitaire game on my computer that I literally had to delete because, because I couldn't stop playing the thing. So everybody's got a little different trouble spot. And you've got to ask yourself first this question. Number one, is this leading me closer to what God would have for my life or to those that God has given me to love? Number two, what 
kind of, of structures have I put in place in my life to not go there? Do you understand the story of Achan? He never intended to end up where he ended up. He never intended to hurt the people. Do you understand how a sheep gets lost? It talks about lost sheep in the Bible. Sheep don't get lost by breaking out of the pen and heading toward the hills. Sheep get lost by nibbling their way lost. You know? I think, oh, he did. Oh, there's a tuft. Okay, well, that looks good. Okay, Mm, that's pretty good, too. Grass is grass. And and hours later, they look up. Where'd everybody go? They nibble their way lost. Those of you who surf the net, can you identify with this? Well, that looks good. I go, okay, well, mm-hmm, yeah, well, okay. And you nibble your way lost. Now you've got to think to yourself, knowing I have that propensity, I'm not intending to go out and sin, but knowing I have that propensity in certain areas, how can I tie myself to the place? How can I not go there? And that takes structures to help you not go there. On the computer, they have little security things, I'm told. I don't do a lot of surfing, but I'm, I'm told you can, you can just put in there, don't let me go there. And you can block it out. Do that if that's your habit. Um, 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 there are other ways. If you have people in your life that will keep you accountable, you, everybody needs somebody who will get in their face and say, don't go there. You need, you need to say, here's my weak spot. Don't let me go there. You know, in the story of Odysseus uh, in the Odyssey, you remember that he wanted to hear the song of the sirens, but he took precautions. He put wax in the, in, in the ears of all of his men, and that he had them tie him to a mast so that he could not go to his own, uh, his own destruction. You need to have your crew members tie you to a mast. Uh, who, that, and, and no matter what you say, won't let you go there. Now, what are some practical uh, ways that you can treat those things that you have already seen? Because I'm not, I'm not talking to a fresh group here. Uh, I'm talking, including me, to people who have participated in things that already have left scars and already have had left, has left coldness on their heart. Well, the Bible's very clear. In Romans 6.13, it says this, and I'll close with this. Romans 6.13, it says, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness. The first thing you do is to cut out the materials that you know are not of God. Now, this is real simple, and I don't need to tell you what those is. We'll give you a little time for the Holy Spirit to search your heart in just a little bit. But the first thing you do is you determine, I'm going to cut those things out. Because they're leading me away from God, and they're leading me away from those whom God has given me to love. So you cut those out. Second thing you do is you decide what God wants for your life. You set that direction. You understand that there's a goal there. You know, when I talked a couple of weeks about, uh, ago about the, the goal of Northland and what we're going to do in the future as far as being a non-geographically limited church and being a conglomeration or a, or a church of lots of congregations who still operate together, one of the things that I have understood is that we have come too far too fast. You know, anytime you go from a congregation that, that worships two to three hundred and in less than 10 years, go to a congregation that worships over 5,000, you've come too far too fast.
Now, I don't know how we would have reversed that thing, I don't, I don't, except to keep people out, and, I, and, and we haven't got a mind to do that. But I do know that we've lost a lot of personal ministry in, that, in the speed and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the, the volume of that growth. And so when I talk about our future, what I'm really do- talking about is going back to the original design. I'm not talking about pushing the frontiers. I'm talking about taking the frontiers back to how the church was designed so that we could all have real relationships together. And we could study scripture together, have real fellowship together. You can't have that with 5,000 people at once. But you can have it with smaller groups of people. So when you realize you've gone too far too fast, you, you figure out, okay, how do I work the original plan again? And that's what we're doing as a church. That's what we need to do as individuals. And then the third and last thing is that you need to then put in the resources that will do that particular plan. It says, the other, the other part of that, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So therefore, you have to switch out the resources that were taking you away from God to the resources that will bring you close to God. When you're on a diet, I hope you don't just do without food and try not to think about it. I hope that you replace what you're trying not to eat with what you should eat. And that is, that is the way to really go about righteousness also. To do without uh, uh, what you shouldn't uh, partake of, but to do with, in its place, what you should partake of. All right? Now, we're going to go into worship and think about that. Pray with me. God, thanks for making us be honest by the movement of your Holy Spirit. And we ask during this time that you would do a couple of things in us and for us so that you can work better through us. First of all, we pray that you would heal the scars and the damage that has already been done by our partaking of the materials that led us away from you. And second, Lord, we would pray that you would identify and help us to repent of those materials right now, today. And lastly, Lord, we pray that you would just work a great work of your purity and life in us this morning so that we could leave different people than when we came in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.